Well, hello again from the Granite State. My name's Gary, and this is the Restoring Main Street podcast. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, tonight, I have got uh, what I consider a, a, a rare treat, and uh, hopefully it's one that's going to be a reoccurring um, uh, interview. But uh, I have a, a, a friend from back in the day, back when I was a whole lot younger, uh, going to talk to uh, my friend Jay, who's uh, out there on the other side of the country, uh, about uh, some of the some of the ins and outs of the political atmosphere today, and uh, get his take on those things. And uh, part of the reason why Jay has some relevance here, um, he speaks from uh, having several years in the uh, intelligence community, and uh, has a background and um, uh, just knowledge of things that that I don't have. So the perspective that he can bring on uh, any given subject that we decide to get into, um, I feel is, is extremely relevant and, um, like I said, pertinent and just some, some great information and, and something that I think that uh, anyone listening could truly appreciate. So um, while we're doing that, as always, I'll, I'll pull you in a little bit tighter here with the, with the webcam so you can look at this mug of mine up close and personal. Well, uh, like I said, we're going to cover, uh, hopefully, um, in several different programs uh, over the course of the next few weeks, anything from the political climate that's going on today to uh, discussing the Great Reset, uh, national security, um, COVID concerns, and uh, anything else that, that, that uh, just happens to uh, you know, just weave its way into the conversation. So like I said, um, without dragging this on too long. And uh, just be because of uh, Jay's unique position, um, a certain amount of anonymity is gonna be, uh, gonna be utilized here. Uh, you'll see my face in the, in the split screen, but uh, you're only gonna hear Jay's audio. But like I said, uh, with the um, information and uh, uh, perspective that he can give, uh, believe me, the audio is, is going to be enough. So, Without too much um, further ado, here we're going to we're going to transition to the split screen, and uh, I'll uh, welcome Jay. Hey, good evening, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's it's good to uh, to be able to speak with you, even if it's from a few miles away. Yeah. Um, so some people might recognize my voice, some people might not. For those that do, um, you know who I am. For those that don't, I'll just give you a little bit of background. I'm a former New Hampshire person here, a New Hampshire native, proud uh, Spalding High School Red Raider grad um, from a few years ago. Um, I sp I've spent my entire adult life in public service in one fashion or another. And I've spent several years, as, as Gary mentioned, as an analyst uh, in the intelligence community and on the Department of Justice law enforcement side as well. Spent several years um, in Washington, D.C. and on the Beltway. Uh, so as some would say, I, I have muddied my feet in the swamp somewhat. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I, I do want to preference this by saying these opinions uh, or whatever we talk about are my opinions and are, are my own, and they in no way uh, represent the opinion of any federal government agency or anyone that I've worked with in the past or will work with in the future. These are totally my observations um, as an analyst uh, and a nonpartisan one at that. 
So um, take that for what it's worth. The only agenda I have is to carry on a conversation with Gary and, and you as his listeners, just to try to hope and hope to uh, bring you to a realization that there are some things going on that everybody should be aware of. Now, and I think, like I said, I, Jay, I think everybody can certainly appreciate um, uh, that and that perspective. Um, like I said, you've you come from uh, um, from an area that not not all of us obviously have access to, so therefore, um, your opinions on things, I um, like I said, I hold in in high regard. Like I said, you've got a perspective that I certainly don't. Um, and 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 just to share with people too quickly. Um, Part of the reason that you know that Jay's here, or we're even heading in this direction, like I said, the the, the format and the context of uh, of this podcast has changed a little bit. And honestly, I see um, relevant topics when it comes to restoring Main Street as anything that, um, that 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 threatens our freedom, our ability to move around as free citizens of of this country, and um, you know to basically achieve our individual goals. So anything that represents uh, uh, a block to that or something that's undermining the Constitution or our rights, I see that as something that that uh, stands in the way of what I call restoring Main Street. So that's part of the reason behind that. So, um, Jay, we, we were going to, I think in our discussions, we were going to consider uh, starting at this, uh, this particular uh, spot and talk about the uh, political climate of the day only because it kind of sets the groundwork for some of the other topics that we want to discuss in, in the coming weeks. So um, is there you know, any specific you know, area that you um, maybe want to step into first to kind of just kick things off here? Well, well yeah, that's definitely uh, kind of a wide open it is. Uh, area for me. Um, so just as a little bit of background, um, I worked under multiple administrations. Uh, so, so not just Republican or Democrat, but under under multiple administrations. And and so I've kind of seen the difference in philosophy from one administration to the next. And, and especially as, as foreign policy is concerned, um, national security is concerned. And, and as far as our position and our standing in the world and where America stands as far as how we're viewed by other countries. So I think there's been a great, uh, a great shift. And, I basically started noticing um, a major difference in the first half of President Obama's second term. And, and by a shift, I mean there was more of a shift towards um, more of a globalization platform and not necessarily um, with America leading that charge as far as, as being uh, the world leader that we always had been. I started to see that um, and I, I hate to use the word, and I won't at this point in time, uh, socialism, but it definitely was moving towards globalization. And, and that was something that, that caused not just myself, but a lot of my coworkers um, who, who worked in different areas of uh, analyzing different nations, intelligence uh, began to bring some concerns um, towards us. So, I mean, if you go through that part of the administration and then some of the things that I think they anticipated were going to happen once President Obama left office, but that didn't work out quite well for them. And by that, I mean, I don't think anyone ever really anticipated President Trump would win that election. 
and and I don't think that um, even within their own, even within the Republican Party, I don't think they thought he would win that that election. And then once he took office, we started to see a a, a totally different, almost almost a 180 um, in the way policies were put forth and, and the way um, America was starting to be restructured. And they kind of stepped, but they didn't kind of, they actually did quite a bit step back from what had been that more push towards globalization back to putting America first. And now, of course, we're in the first couple months of a brand new administration that really not that new if you look at the history of who's in the top two positions. And, and now within the first couple months, we're seeing some major changes that may indicate that we're, we're not only going to go back to the position of the Obama administration, but perhaps even beyond what the plan and the goals of that administration um, were and not necessarily in a, what I consider to be a good way. Right. Hey, in thinking back to the Obama administration, and you said like the second term, you, you started to notice some some very specific things. Is there is there any one key thing that, that uh, you know, first triggered your interest or, or caused you to pause and say, oh, wait a minute, what's, what's going on here? Well, so, yeah, so that kind of... Um, there were some things internationally uh, that were troubling. One of them had to be our relationship um, with the United Nations. Um, that that organization, we could talk about that all day, but in, in my opinion, there's some major issues with that organization and what their actual goals are. And, and maybe some of the um, efforts of certain parties uh, uh, of the United Nations that would like to see America not be, you know, the global power that it is. But I started to see that push towards um, having the United Nations have more of a say in what in, in United States policy, um, how we viewed other nations and how we interacted with other nations. And that was the first time that such uh, uh, they were bolder than they had been in the past about some of the suggestions and ideas that they had and, and some of the moves they made to bring this this treaty more to the to the forefront and, and set America back a little bit. So that was you know, that was kind of some of the first warning signals. Yeah, and I'm 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 making an assumption here and I you you I don't know if you can confirm or or uh or like I said, or it just stays an assumption on my part. I, I'm I'm assuming that the Obama administration had um, let the UN know in 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 some you know back channel way possibly that you know w what their intentions were and, and uh, uh, the plans of kind of leaning in that same direction. I'm, I'm sure there was uh, a certain amount of understanding there. Um, and I, I'm thinking. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the initiative now through the UN that it's you know looking to globalize as as many countries as possible. I know now it's uh, it's basically been rebranded as Agenda 2030, but I'm trying to remember what the previous was it Agenda 21. Does that sound familiar? Yes, that's correct. Okay, that's what I thought, and I know that uh, for years uh, the United Nations has has basically looked at as uh, America as pretty much a, a stumbling block in the way of of most of everything that they, they would like to do. They would obviously like to see uh, more of a one world government and a, and a world governance that um, you know allowed them to, to dictate to 
the, the rest of the world, or at least be part of of that uh, that conversation. And uh, you know, um, basically losing you know losing our sovereignty to uh, to their influence. So I know that that's uh, that's always been a, a goal of theirs, and they've been pushing that for for quite some time. So. Um, well, and that that leads you know to some of the things that we're going to talk about. But if you look at the current state of the UN, when you look at uh, and this is some of the things that the United States and people like Nikki Haley during the Trump administration had concern with. Um, when you look at, and we're going to talk about some of this later when we get into talking about a little bit about the great reset. When you look at the UN, Antonio Guterres basically is the Portuguese secretary general of the UN. And he's also a member of the Portuguese Socialist Party. And he has strong ties to China. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's little things like that that cause if you're an analyst and you sit back and you look at the big picture, those are the kinds of things that if you're truly um, concerned about the security and future of the country that can't help but catch your attention. Yeah, certainly, certainly the case. Um, I'm trying to remember back from um, uh, during the Obama administration and forgive me for my, like I said, my lack of memory in this respect. Um, for some reason, it's it's more um, Russia, and it seemed like a you know back channel conversation that that uh, you know went oh, or maybe not so much of a back channel quiet conversation when the open mic caught caught Obama talking about uh, yeah, you know talking about don't worry once I win the second term here we'll we can we can start talking again and and start to move the agenda forward. But um, I'm trying to remember if if China at that time. Uh, it doesn't seem to, in my memory, uh, have as much uh, of an influence or part of what was going on behind the scenes as, as much as, as uh, Russia did initially. And, and from what we've learned over the last couple of years, even the Ukraine, which I don't think was on many people's radar from, from the Obama administration days. So I'm not sure um, who you think maybe you know, some of the bigger influences were back in in that in that administration trying to move forward and in, in with the idea of, of globalism you know kind of pushing forward to the years to come do you um do you see um russia or or china being more of an influence at that time i i feel like i that there was more of an open communication with with russia well during during that time period i think i think I think it might have been equal. I just think the ones with Russia were, were more well known because of um, the open mic scandal thing where he got caught on the mic, as you as you talked about telling, uh, I forget the person's name now, but saying he'd have more power with his reelection. And that, you know, exactly. there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes. But if you look back, like, near the end of Obama's or go back like to 2016 he he was pretty out in the open about globalization i remember um i remember i think it was on nbc news where he was being interviewed and he made the comment that you know globalization is here to stay and then he talked about it wasn't that far after that he was doing an interview with npr and the question was asked hey are we moving to you know are we going too fast? Do we really know what this globalization's all about? You know, do we really need to be more careful? And, you know, his comment at that time was, oh, no, you know, we we haven't gone too fast. There's going to be some bumps, but um, 
then he went on to say that a majority, I don't know where he got these numbers from, but he went on to say a majority of Americans were comfortable with the pace and going to a globalization system. And I remember hearing that interview on NPR and just scratching my head and, and not knowing, you know, how he could make those kind of claims without being, you know, kind of called on the carpet for him because I've certainly, uh, it, it shocked me that he would even say that. You know, and he's even become more of an outspoken uh, proponent of globalization since he left office. So, I mean, he didn't, in my opinion, anyways, he near the end of his his time in office, uh, he, he was pretty open about where he thought America should head. Right. Well, I think he's, you know, uh, you know, uh, with what we know about his his background and his and his upbringing, I, you know, he obviously during his his first administration, I mean, he went on his. Um, uh, now famous or infamous, depending on how you want to phrase it, uh, apology tour, um, you know, around the world, which I think kind of kind of gave all of us an insight as to you know uh, how he viewed America and America's position in the world, or what what he um, what was more of his desires of his administration moving forward is you know how America approached um, any given uh, you know uh, national. Uh, what I want to say, um, concerns or you know, how we how we dealt with with any other foreign country or, or our place uh, in the world uh, moving forward. I mean, leading from behind was was kind of the order of the day back then. So, well, yeah, and, and stepping aside, I mean, the, the, a good example of that was the Paris Accords, right? Um, sure. We're going to let other countries determine what's what's best for the U.S., even though if you look at things like climate change or whatever whatever you want to call it you know we've the united states has drastically reduced its carbon emissions to to one of the lowest in the world um but yet you know and then and i know we don't want to go too down too far down this road right now but you know and then you look at the paris accords and you look at the two countries that pollute the most are exempt from the from having to re, uh, meet any mandates um, right so i mean it was crazy Some of the things he said out in the open, you know, I mean, he did interviews with the Washington Post. And I remember that one that uh, he did in Germany. And there was another one in Athens um, where he talked specifically about globalization and, and, and bringing everything under one, you know, basically one power. Right. I, I don't know if you remember at the time, you know, some of the chat groups and stuff at that time said, you know, Obama wanted to be king of the world. Well, I don't know if he pictured himself as head of the UN, but it basically would have made the whoever was running the United Nations, you know, in the in the top seat would have basically been like king of the world. So, right. You know, and and, and um, not to not to skip over the the Trump administration. I'm sure we'll we'll um, we'll probably shift back and forth. You know, um, talking about that to a certain degree as well, but. I guess my curiosity is because most people look at um, Biden stepping into office and uh, consider it um, partially a, a, a third term of Obama's policies. Is there anything you know specific that, although I think it's the, you know they've upped the ante. Is there anything specific that you can see right now that is you know just uh, has been a, a clear indication of just carrying on where where they left off um, when Obama left office, both he and Biden. Well, the, the first thing, obviously, was, I mean, Biden, Biden 
President Biden saying he was re-entering the, the Paris Accords, right? That right. was the first step. And then, um, you know, some of the people that he's appointed to key positions were known to be in favor of things like globalization. I, that's a dramatic turnaround from what, and let me, let me clear this up uh, for those that don't know me or think that I do have some type of um, political agenda. I, I'm personally uh, was not a fan of President Trump as a person, but right. it's hard to argue his policies. Right. Uh, what he was, what, and, and I'll go as far as, you know, and let's go back prior to, to Obama administration and talk about, you know, President Bush. I was not a fan of a lot of his policies, um, especially with some of the people he had in key positions, such as Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney. Um, right. There were issues there, and, and so it's not just one. It's not just one administration. It's just a, it was a total shift. And then I think President Trump um, decided that wasn't the course that Americans wanted, and that right. wasn't the course that he felt was best for America. So this gets convoluted a lot because what happens is when people talk about America first. Some people will take that. Some people on the left will say that's supposed to mean that we don't care about any other country, right? We're just going to put walls up around the country. We're not going to interact with anybody. We're going to do our own thing and, and, you know, the rest of the world be damned. And that's that couldn't be the furthest from the truth. I mean, even under President Trump, the foreign aid, he, even though he put it under tighter scrutiny, he wasn't definitely wasn't sending pallets full of cash to countries to try to get reach agreements. But right. um, he, we were still, you know, we're still sending money for foreign aid. It was just scrutinized a little bit heavier. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, we can talk. There, there were a lot of things that, that I didn't agree with him on as far as as some of the foreign policy stuff where sometimes you, you need to have a little more of a hand of a diplomat than, you know, we're going to do it this way because I'm the president. There's a time and place for that. And there's a time and place to be a little more diplomatic. But at the end of the day, um, he set America on a different course. Right. And and I think this administration, especially, it, it's kind of obvious. I mean, you'd have to be almost have, have been in a cave for the last couple months to not realize somebody's working very hard to undo as much as possible that he was able to do during the four years of his, of his administration. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, and and honestly, like I said, with uh, I guess anybody could have um, realized this particular uh, perspective, but um, Biden, especially being the one that uh, that you know gained the White House here, has has a, a very close understanding, or let's say we hope that he does, or the people surrounding him certainly do, of um, what they learned uh, from. President Obama's first administration, which is the understanding that, and, and I think this is why you see them going at such, um, as I like to call it, breakneck speed with, with uh, executive orders and some of the things they're trying to accomplish in that they, they look back at Obama's first administration and, and understand that uh, they would have done things or, or gone at uh, a faster clip them had they realized that at the midterms, uh, the the political monkey wrench was going to get thrown into to their gears and their works. So I, I want to say, that obviously um, 
Biden and the people around President Biden have understand that they've got a uh, certainty of a two-year window to try and, and uh, uh, push as much of, of their agenda through as they possibly can, not, not knowing what, um, what the this, uh, midterms in uh, 2022 bring. You feel that's, that's pretty accurate? I, I, you know, I'll, I'll give you two thoughts on that. Number one, um, I have some major concerns, and, and I'm, I'm not speaking from a, a conspiracy type theory or, um, uh, you know, I, I don't. It's it's obvious to me from my observations that, and, and from what I've seen, um, that something's not 100% with President Biden. And that concerns me. Sure. Um, that, that concerns me deeply. Now, I can tell you the last couple of years of uh, the Obama administration, um, there were rumors in and around the Beltway that he was all already having cognitive issues and that the president had limited some of his duties. So, I mean, we're talking, wow. we're talking six years ago and now right. he's president United States. Um, now I can't. Obviously, I don't have a way to verify that. I can only tell you what the, you know, what the Beltway talk was. Um, I was extremely surprised, somewhat, to see him actually get the nomination. But um, I think there were two things that 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 caused him to actually get the nomination. One is the other candidates were absolutely horrible. And all you had to do was watch the debates to figure that out. Right. Um, and the second thing is, I, th I think even as much as he tried to play the moderate, which at some point in his career he claims to have been, and I think he was, um, I think people felt in the Democrat, in, in the in the party of the Democrats, I think especially some of the far left people felt that, that he would be easier um, to manipulate, uh, and and would have the support of more of the the midstream moderate however many are left um democrats in both houses so i don't yeah. know that's all speculation and, and opinion based on my observations and things that i heard but i, I have you know i have concerns now oh, I, legitimate you know um, now whether the whole thing is it's planned for the vice president to take over or whether um, Nancy Pelosi did the whole 25th Amendment thing and, and plans to replace him if he goes too far south. Uh, I, I don't know about that. I can't really speak to that. That's there's. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me, but you know, I don't have any facts to to support that. I, I don't think. What I do think is, if he makes it the full four years, that you won't see him run for a second term. I think. I don't think it's possible. Um, right. Not, not based on the the path he's on right now so it's going to be interesting but i agree you know i guess that's a long answer to a short question um, no. i agree i think the midterms for them are going to be vital and, and I, I didn't want to go down this road yet but i'll mention it i think that's one of the main reasons they're pushing hr1 so heavy is because that will help pave their way forever right um, i mean so I think they're going to try to do as much as they can in the next two years to kind of lock that, yeah. that spot in. Well, I think um, 
I think the double-edged sword that, uh, that, that came along with the uh, Trump administration is that, like you said, we can agree with a, a lot of his policies, didn't care a lot of times for the bombastic way that he went about doing things, but I think everybody understood going into this that that was Trump's personality and to kind of expect anything else. Um, you, you weren't being uh, very honest with yourself. But I think that also paved the way with um, making Joe a serious consideration in that, like you said, a lot of the other candidates this last time around weren't exactly all that impressive. I think the general um, public perception of Joe Biden is, is one of, of, of more, uh, what do I say, an accepted view of him as, as not being, uh, well, certainly being the opposite of President Trump, but um, uh, certainly uh, most people um, were okay with kind of overlooking some of the indications that you had even when he was running for office that there, there might be a little bit of um, uh, mental slippage, you know, for lack of a better term there. But I think he was an acceptable um, uh, a candidate, an acceptable choice, and, uh, and they understood that they could certainly surround him with uh, the people uh, that could support him and, and achieve the goals of, of the party at the same time. So I think, like I said, I think, unfortunately, um, Trump's personality might have had a lot to do with uh, their decision to, to go with Joe and, and the public perception of Joe. So. Now, um, yeah, and, and you know the, the the really interesting thing, and I, and I'll just I'll just touch on this. You, you started down that road, is you know I I was definitely not. He could have done a lot less tweeting, but uh, sure. you know every he he got a. But you know here's the thing, he wasn't a politician, and and he was not expected to do well. You know, some of the even after he, he got, if you remember this, uh, first off, we went through the whole and, th and this should sound somewhat familiar when when he won the election. We went through the whole, I don't know, three or four months of Democrats saying the election was rigged um, and he stole the election and voting machines were rigged. Remember that? Yes, um, I do. We went through a couple months of that. It kind of sounds like deja vu with a different party now. But um, right. I think they actually once they settled in and said, okay, this guy's going to be president. I mean, it was obvious, right? Because the first thing they did was he wasn't even in the seat yet. And they were talking about impeaching him. Right. Well, I also so, think that well, that but, was part of a distraction, an, an intended distraction, because he got into office. And I, I, I think he he threw a monkey wrench into into their plans. I mean, their plans were that, that Hillary was going to get into office. And I think the agenda that they had intended for the next four years they were positive they were going to be able to continue on, and Trump was Trump was their monkey wrench. I agree with that 100% to the point that they thought Hillary was going to waltz into that office. But once yeah. they realized that wasn't going to happen, and they got over the, the shock and awe, if you will, um, I think they thought he would fall flat on his face. Sure. And he didn't. He put some outstanding, and I'm only speaking from my personal opinion, he put some really good, he made some mistakes. Um, you know, he left some people in positions that you'll notice that President Biden hasn't. He basically has cleaned house of everyone he thinks will not be loyal to him. Which, yeah. As, as an analyst, we can talk about that all day. That brings up concerns. Um, that's one of my concerns about the current administration. But you know, President Trump came in. He, 
he kept some people in positions that had been Obama appointees because he thought their loyalty would be to the United States. And, and you, we can debate whether or not that turned out to be true. But um, he, for the most part, um, the things that he did, I think, shocked him. I don't think they expected him to have the level of success with the economy that he did. And I know there's some people out there that are still going to claim this was Obama's economy, where he was just riding the horse from the previous administration. But he was able to do some good things. And, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, from a foreign policy standpoint and from, a, uh, from, the, from the standpoint of the wars that he inherited, he was able to do some pretty good things. Not all of them that I agreed with, but, you know, I'm not a policymaker. Right. But still, compared to where we were headed um, and the situation he was given, he did some good things. And, and I think if you deny that, then you deny some of the achievements over the last four years. Now, now I'm concerned we're going to wind up going in the opposite direction. Yeah, certainly. I. Like I said, I, I think he had an honest perspective of what the American people wanted, and and as it, um, and I think, um, because of that, he was he was in tune to that. I think he has has the uh, unique ability to be able to. He he certainly connects with people like uh, nobody else I've seen. I mean, o Obama was a great orator, and I think that was part of what his uh, charisma uh, led to. Um, Trump, on a more basic level, just seems to appeal to people and, and connect to them, and can can read a crowd. I mean, that's that's why uh, his live events were um, was so impressive uh, because of that particular um, ability of his. But I, I, like I said, I think he went into office with a with a good idea of what the American people wanted and didn't want. And the great thing about uh, about that and not being a politician is and, and him being him, his his his. Well, let's just say it. His his arrogance. You know, his personality. He was determined he was going to do things the way he wanted to, and certainly um, uh, something 180 degrees the opposite of what uh, a, a seasoned politician would do stepping into that particular position. And he certainly followed through. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the advent of social media and being able to speak directly to the public without the filter of the media, you know, basically spinning everything that you say, uh, whether you liked his tweeting or, or, or liked what he did to respond, and uh, you know he he certainly wasn't wasn't taking whatever they dictated from. The, he was not in the defensive. He went on the off on the offense a lot of times, not accepting their narrative and having to uh, backpedal from that. He he basically you know set the narrative and uh, doubled down on things, and I think uh, that confounded them more than anything else as well. Yeah, and I think he, I think he definitely lacked patience um, for some things. You know, Business I man, mean, he why. was working. Yeah, I mean, and he's used to being the guy calling the shots. You know, yeah. but I, I think, you know, and he's used to you don't do it my way, you're fired type of thing. Well, that doesn't work in the, you know, obviously in world politics and, and foreign policy, that's not always the way you want to go. And you know, and, and quite honestly if I'm being 100% transparent, he made a lot of mistakes during this last few months of his presidency that probably cost the Republicans the Senate. Um, you know, I we can debate all day, and, and I'll be the first one to tell you there definitely are some issues, and we're really starting to see them now with 
with the election integrity and we're seeing certain states and we can talk about this another time because that's a that's a whole nother rabbit hole but um, i mean we're seeing states start to take some steps to try to correct uh those issues that they felt they had and of course now the democrats are calling that voter suppression and we can debate that too but um i think he was so focused on on whether or not the election was rigged that he didn't focus like he should have um on the Georgia race. And I think the statistic that I read, they estimated after the election, over 700,000 Georgia voters did not vote. Wow. I, yeah, I didn't um, see that. Uh, in the in the Senate runoff. Right. So a lot of those were from rural counties, which tend to have more of the Republican support. So, I mean, I, I don't have a crystal ball. The one I have or had is pretty foggy, but... Right. You know, you can't say for sure that's what did it, but I think he focused too much on whether or not uh, the election was stolen instead of trying to focus on, you know, what can I do to to make this a little bit better for the Republicans. But even on the Republican side and, and, you know, there's guys that that are senators and some in the House, people call them rhinos, you know, that's the typical term. But there was some that just did not like the fact that he was Donald Trump and he was president. So, right. you know, that's a whole, no, that's a whole nother story. Well. Now I have a, I have an interesting question for you. Just, you know, based on that Georgia race, do you think what they saw um, in the general election and then Georgians uh, looked at that and, you know, questioned the um, uh, integrity of, of the general general election and, and, and saw that as maybe a reason not to come out and, and try and even, make an attempt to vote, figuring that their their vote was going to be, um, was, was not going to count, that somehow it was going to be um, questionable or, you know, the integrity of even, you know, this part of the election, because they really didn't change anything in Georgia. I mean, there was talk between um, when the general was done and when, um, when this runoff was going to happen, uh, you know, there was attempts to try to shore some things up or, or change some things because there was concern there, but uh, I'm wondering if the general public, you know, had a, had a feeling that, you know, uh, I don't think my vote's going to count anyway. I think they're going to get the result that they want, along with, you know, Trump making his missteps. I'm just curious what you think of that. Yeah, I think there's some I think there's some legitimacy to that statement. I think, you know, um, in, in, in reverse, there's states that are, you know, primarily uh, blue where a lot of red voters stay home because they just don't think their vote's going to matter. So. I mean, that's that's a given. And, and unfortunately, I'm the type of person that thinks I'm going to vote no matter what, even if my vote counts, even if it's for the losing party. Right. But it's just right. I'm going to vote anyways, because it's one of my rights as an American. And I, I take those rights very seriously and very I keep them very close to my heart. But yeah. I can see where people get frustrated. Um, and that's, you know, some of the. I've heard a couple different philosophies on this or a couple different theories i should say not philosophies but if you remember there were two and their names are going to escape me there were two republicans in georgia after the the presidential election that said oh the vote was stolen you guys are just wasting your votes and i think that had a lot to do with it now i've heard i've heard that was intentional yeah i heard that was intentional um now that's one theory right uh, but you know the other one was, why would you say that? 
how, how could you not have enough knowing how important the Senate race would be if you were going to lose, uh, if you if you already didn't have a majority in the House and you, you had just lost the highest office in the land, why would you even mistakenly utter those words knowing right. the most important race, maybe even more important than the, the race for president, was that Georgia Senate? Um, why yeah. would you make those comments publicly? And then, you know, following that, um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember if it was USA Today or New York Times um, or Post that estimated something like after the polls and, and about two months after the vote, just here recently in the last couple of weeks, they had an article that said like 700,000 Georgia voters did not vote in the Senate runoff. Yeah, I didn't. Like I said, I didn't see that. That's um, that surprises me. That's something that I hadn't heard. Um, but you can look right. I mean, if you look at the steps Georgia has taken in the last oh month or so since the first part of March, you can see just by the the bills that are being passed and what the governor just signed, um, you can see that they know they had issues. Right. I mean, now the Democrats are calling it voter suppression, but all they're basically asking or, you know, what they basically signed in was uh making sure there's like some form of id whether it's a driver's license number or last four the social security number and you know make sure that absentee voters have to sign something that says it's actually their vote right. it, it's just stuff that you would think would be normal common sense but just by the number of bills that have been put in i mean and Georgia's not the only state right new hampshire too uh, yes. new hampshire has some stuff moving through the Senate uh, requiring voters to include their their uh, I think it's the last four digits of their social security number or some type of ID number. Yeah. So when you start seeing all these states, I mean, there was like New Hampshire, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin. I mean, all, obviously, these states all have things in common, but when you see them passing duplicate bills, that from an analyst standpoint, that tells you they had uh, similar problems uh, that they've recognized post-election, and that's why they're trying to address them now. And yeah. we should have vote. We should have voter integrity. Oh, I mean, certainly. You know, I mean, I, well, I have to. Sh I have to show my driver's license. You know, to go in and open a bank account. Right. You know, you've got to use your ID. I've got to show it to get on a plane. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's just. We could, that's a that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I think they realized that, that there was some major issues. Now, whether or not it was enough to cost President Trump the election, that's debatable. Um, and, and right now, I you know that's that's another area we can go down at some point in time. But I can say with a hundred percent confidence, there were issues, and they've been recognized, and hopefully they're being dealt with. Well, and, and from from my perspective, like I said, I, I can think back to, um, you know, all, all the previous elections, at least the last, you know, three or four cycles. And, and um, when, when the uh, Democrats were on the losing end of things, uh, you, you almost um, uh, religiously, to use the term, heard, heard them talk about how one race was stolen or, or there was, you know, questions or issues. So they would always have 
somewhat of a, of a grumbling um, each and every time that, that I remember in recent memory. Uh, but uh, I don't remember that being the case uh, with the conservative or Republican side of things until this particular election. And, um, you know, it, it, and as far as, you know, voter registration and, and things of that nature, I mean, uh, just a couple of simple basic questions that, that don't go to the heart, that just go to the logic. Do you know of any other country that, you know, that doesn't make an attempt to, you know, to do the same thing to have, or, or at least ones that we consider to be uh, civilized, somewhat democratic, you know, countries that, 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 um, that don't attempt to, you know, uh, have uh, elections that basically have some integrity. And how insulting is it to, uh, to some of the minority communities that you would suggest that for some um, unexplained reason, you don't think that they have the intelligence to be able to get uh, an actual ID or a, or a form of verification uh, for them to, uh, to actually vote. I, I think that's, that's, that's an insult, in, in my opinion, to those communities. And, and I'm sure they see it that way. Of course, you're not gonna hear that spin in the media, but um, I find it hard to believe that, that they wouldn't have that, that particular point of view uh, when it comes to that, except for the, uh, the activists and the radicals. Well, look at H.R. 1. Right. Uh, part of H.R. 1 legalizes nationwide mail-in voting without photo ID. You know, what does that open the door for? You know, it, it's it's crazy some of the things that are that are in HR one. It's not the people they call it the people's the people's something. I can't now it escapes me because right. I look at it and I read through this uh, I read through some of the things in HR one and, and it's just mind boggling. Well, they, they want to register anybody that, that, that is allowed to register a vehicle when, when in some states, some states allow, um, you know, illegals to, to regis, register a vehicle. Then all of a sudden, by registering a vehicle, you're going to become registered to vote at that point? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, so, it's, for instance, Washington State, you can go in without any form of identification, without any birth certificate, without anything, and you can get an ID that says not valid for identification. But it'll have your name. Your, it looks just like a Washington State driver's license, right? Um, and then they use that to open bank accounts, and you know that's just an example. But you know, another part of HR one, this I I had to read this like five times when I was reading the bill. Right. So even if an election official finds an ineligible vote, um, they're not allowed to remove it. Uh, how, do you, how do you justify that? I'm, 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 I'm confused. And then it goes on to say, um, I wish I had it in front of me and I should have, cause I'm sure, to but it, we didn't know which direction we were going to go in tonight. So, you know, yeah. but it also prohibits, uh, the election official from confirming whether or not that person was actually el eligible or qualified to vote. Right. Uh, it's, I, I, I must have read that like three times. Um, and then it goes right, you know, the next paragraph talks about banning state voter ID laws. It's, I, it may, it reminds me of Cold War Russia. Um, right. In all honesty, the, the, the persons elected and pre-selected and then elected by, you know, uh, a 
vote. It's right. just that's how <laughs> that's how crazy some of this stuff in HR one is, and it's very uh, it, it's very troubling. I mean, it's very very troubling. It, yeah. Well, and it goes, no, goes on. It goes on. It goes on and on and on. Um, yeah. Well, the, the Republican side has basically called it out as, as a way of securing the Democratic, you know, or, or a, um, uh, a, a securing the basically the outcome of every election from now until who knows, you know, if, if H.R. 1 gets passed. And I don't see, you know, um, from an uh, election integrity standpoint, from the average American standpoint, even if you're a, you know, uh, an independent, a conservative or a Democrat and, and not maybe a progressive, but anybody that has um, what I would consider, you know, morals and and um, and principles about their life, I don't see how anybody could uh, support what HR1 actually stands for because at that point, like I said, we've we've become pretty much a dictatorship, a banana republic. We, you know, there is no real election process anymore. So um, my only my only hope for this is that the uh, uh, the the Senate can basically hold it up to the point where it just doesn't get a vote. Yeah, I'm not actually sure in the Senate, you know, how many votes they'll be able to get. Right. Um, I mean, even some of the Democrats quietly are saying, and yeah, this is crazy. Um, it's kind of like the example um, that we use or that's been used for the filibuster, right? Uh that was the greatest thing since sliced bread and both president Obama and, and now president Biden defended it, uh, pretty, pretty outwardly during, you know, the time that they did not have the majority. And now it's the evilest thing, yeah. you know, ever it's Jim Crow and it's, it's voter it's, you know, it's suppression of the people. And now it's all these things, despite the fact you know, the Democrats used it something like 300 times and the Republicans used it once. Right. Um, it's crazy, but it'll it'll be the same thing with this. If, if the Republicans had the majority and they were to file something like this, um, it, it would be like the, the end of democracy. It would oh, be certainly. the end of the constitutional republic. Right. Um, and, and that's, you know, this is a very, out of all the crazy things I've seen come out, um, of the house and there's been some really crazy things this this one this one is really troubling because it, it could change elections like we've never seen in the history of this country um on a national scale anyways and, and it's whether it should trouble you if you're a de if you read this honestly and even if you're a democrat this should bother you it should greatly trouble you yeah um, and I and like I said, it's been obvious to me um, over the uh, the Trump administration, and and, and uh, I think obvious to most um, that with the uh, with AOC and some of the other radicals get actually getting elected into office, that you've you've seen a, a, a complete change in the Democratic Party. I mean, most of what they've tried to do in the past, even though they may have the same objectives. They certainly tried to do it more, more uh, covertly. They they weren't as as open or as uh, um, you know pushing the the radical side of their agenda. But I, I certainly the party has shifted, and uh, that is more the norm than than what you would call a normal. Um, or what I remember, you know, a Democrat 
you know, being at, at one point, you know, basically a, a party with a, a different point of view of how to get from point A to point B, but, but um, openly they, they cer certainly weren't um, discussing these, uh, these radical changes and, and things that um, would lead you to, to look at the way we conduct our elections and the way we, we run this uh, republic as, as uh, shifting more towards socialism slash, you know, communism, progressive, you know, um, dictatorship or, you know, fascism, all of what we see going on right now. I mean, it's, it's um, you saw, like I said, you saw the, the kind of rise during the Trump administration and, and now you, you see the culmination. Like I said, they feel like they've got a two-year window to to push as hard as they can, and um, uh, as 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 worried as we can can be at looking at HR uh, one and some of the some of the other things that are going on right now, I, I think um, it's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, there are other things that they have planned that uh, I don't even want to speculate at this point. Well, and and it ties into a bigger picture. So, uh, I mean, and, and all of this for me, anyways, from the way that I look at it, comes full circle. So. One of the things, and this is, you know, facts and not conspiracy, I'm, theory aside and all the QAnon stuff aside and whatever other groups there are out there, this is typically one of the first things you learn as an analyst um, that they teach you um, is follow the money. And that's true whether or not you're doing a political investigation, an investigation on, you know, crime families or or an investigation on terrorists. I mean, it's all, everything boils down to follow the money. And and one of the biggest concerns, or one of the biggest issues that, that have been, has been prevalent, especially this last election, is what's referred to as dark money. So dark money, I mean, if you look at, I, the easiest way for me to tell you uh, and for those not familiar with it, I know you're familiar with dark money, but for those not familiar with that, it's 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 real, and and it basically boils down to, it's like money laundering, uh, that some of the drug cartels are infamous for, and basically it, it funnels through. There's other things called pass-throughs, but dark money basically is money that you really can't determine where the where the money originated from. Now there's certain reporting requirements by federal law, and and but that depends on on who you are as to what you have to report. So, for instance, if under federal law, if you're a what they consider a social welfare uh, nonprofit, uh, you're not required to reveal your donors. So they just form these these companies, and then they claim to be. Uh, social welfare focused and then they can they can kind of not kind of they they can hide their money and, and get it to people without them having to disclose where they receive the money from and I'll give you an example just one that was that it's been able to trace some there's there's a group out there called the um, 1630 fund and and they're administered by a group that's called Arabella advisors and Basically, Arabella Advisors is a firm that um, their their mission statement or their company statement is that they advise donors and, and nonprofits on how to 
spend their money. Well, that was actually that company's actually uh, founded by a former Clinton administrative uh, person named Eric Kessler. So, I mean, just through his organization alone, there's been like massive anonymous donations. One anonymous donation was over 51 million. Wow. And, and then you look at a second one. This is all just during this last election cycle. Then there was 26, uh, over 26 million, and then a third one for more than 10 million. And some of the people that I know that follow, kind of follow what's called pass throughs and dark money. Um, estimate that in this election alone, this election cycle alone, there was over 300, I think 45, 350 million donated to the Democrats just in the 2020 elections. So when you, uh, and and I know for some people this will sound like uh, conspiracy theory, but when you start doing uh, back checks on some of these groups, you find that a lot of these groups were either formed or are sponsored by or supported by people who support uh, the globalization movement. One of them being George Soros. Um, that was my next question. So, I mean, I know his name pops up a lot, but it's kind of like the way I would explain it to somebody. George Soros is kind of like the mafia Don. People know his face. People know who he is. They know he's the head. But, man, there's a lot of people supporting behind the scenes, supporting him, whose names never reach the public. So right. uh, while he might be the evil face like the Darth Vader, there's a, he's got a lot of people behind him. Right. It's well, scary. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. scary. Money money buys elections. Uh, it, it does. It's, I mean, look at all the politicians – that have been accused of insider trading, you know, I mean, Nancy Pelosi. Um, yeah. Buying Tesla back a couple of months ago. Right. You know? Yeah. Before he made his biggest, big announcement, she made, right. you know, a few billion off of that. Right. But she's not the only one. I oh, mean, no. that happens on both sides. That, that happens on both sides of, uh, of the aisle. That's not just the Democrats. Well, certainly. I, and I think that's why you don't see enough pushback. Um, you know, when, when uh, conservatives, you know, expect that from um, our representatives in office when they're in positions of uh, potentially, you know, coming through with some real change because they've got a majority or, or a chance to do certain things that we expect of them. When you don't see them push in those directions, uh, to me, and like I said, this is this is speculation, but it, to me, it's just common sense. When you when they've campaigned on this, and I know politicians are famous for campaigning and not, not following through, but it just, for me, it's an affirmation that, that, uh, that their hands and their fingers are into some of the same things um, that we're accusing, you know, um, politicians on the other side of the aisle doing when, when we're not in, when we are in positions of power, not advocating for those, for those changes that we've talked about, you know, in the run-up during the election. So, yeah, you, you know what's happening on both sides. Absolutely. And, and I mean, people say, well, how do you fix it? And I, I don't have those answers. I don't. Um, but I think if we were going to try to fix politics as a whole on the, on the national level, um, we would have to start with term limits. And, and beyond that, it's, 
that's that's where I would start. But that's that's a whole nother conversation. But kind of mm-hmm. getting back to like so as an analyst, you look for commonalities. And I kind of mentioned follow the money, but you kind of when you're doing this, you kind of look at not just where the money's coming from, but what I do, what what is it supporting? Is it a, is it some type of movement? Is it is it only to certain groups? Is it you know an ideology? What what is it? What's the commonality between these money donations? Right. And when you start looking at where some of these where some of these black money groups come from, like the 1630 fund, um, the new venture fund, there's one called the league of conservation voters, not to be confused with the league of conservative voters. Right. Um, when you look at, ah, what's one of the other ones? Um, Oh, the center for American progress. You start looking at some of those and you start looking at what their mission statements are. And all of them have one thing. There's even a Planned Parenthood Action Fund uh, involved in this, which blows my mind because they're right. tax funded uh, right. in part. So you start looking at some of these and putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, and then you start looking at political action committees and groups. You start seeing some commonalities and probably since... I would say at least the end of the first through the second uh, Obama administration, a lot of these groups really started getting some money and um, became a little bit more notable, a little bit more on the radar. And you start looking at what they're supporting and you start noticing things like uh, climate change, new green deal. And all of a sudden, all these things become all these groups with different names are supporting, you know, one movement. Um, and, and, and they all seem to have the same agenda with different ways that they word it uh, and different right. ways that they organize it, but they all have the same things in common. Right. And then you look at things, you look at other documents from other groups like the Paris climate accords, and you look at some of the things the United nations has put out, and then you look at this um, great reset and you start to see this puzzle coming together uh, that kind of makes it obvious, at least to me, uh, what the ultimate goal is. And, and again, I mean, this isn't, this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is a real thing. For those not familiar with the Great Reset, this isn't some kind of right-wing conspiracy theory. This is actually something that's been around for a long time. Uh, And it was, you know, I don't know how far you want to go with that today, but anybody out there could could use, you know, Google or any other search engine you want and find enough facts on on the Great Reset. Yeah. Start looking at some of the other groups and start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Right. So, I mean, if just just to give, you know, people a little bit of, you know, information on that so they can do some digging after this, go and check out uh, the World Economic uh, Forum and um, Klaus Schwab. And if you go onto that website, they are not trying to uh, hide any of the agenda or things that they are setting up. Uh, Jay is, is um, like I said, sharing um, some information that is basically concrete and, and out in the open. Uh, if you 
go to that website and start reading some of uh, the articles, read, uh, read about their agenda, read about uh, Klaus Schwab who, who started this with his wife Hilda. Um, they're, not, they're not a group that ha necessarily has what I would uh, call power, but what the, the people that attend uh, their summits and their meetings and um, uh, the, the uh, gatherings that they have to, to, to talk about uh, the, the future of, of the world and the direction that it's going, uh, the people that attend certainly have uh, power around the world. And I think you would be uh, extremely surprised to see, like I said, who's involved um, and, and uh, what their agenda is and how it ties into uh, with the UN as, as well. So. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, it depends, like I said, how far you want to go down that rabbit hole tonight. But um, I figured I'd throw that out there for people. Go check out the, the, the World Economic Forum and uh, read a bit on, on that page. There's, there's plenty of information there for you to try to understand um, uh, why Jay is bringing up the fact that it, it all seems to have a cohesiveness to it and, and a direction. And I, I think it's... Uh, I mean, the speculation is that this is something that's been in planning or we can trace it back um, uh, definitively uh, to around 10 years ago, but I'd be willing to bet that it, it stretches much, much uh, further back than that. But Yeah, so, I mean, I can give you kind of the 30,000 foot view for those people out there. I know you're very familiar with it, Gary. You're probably one of the um, few people outside of my circle that, that I've talked to that seems to be well educated on this whole deal yeah. other people just seem to hear of it in passing and kind of you know either brush it off or don't pay much attention but when you start when you start connecting the dots um, it's a little bit worrisome a little bit troublesome so you know klaus has been around since uh the early 1970s he's been pushing this uh and he's german and, and engineer too if i remember correctly right i think yeah and he's made himself uh He's made himself quite a bit of money pushing this. And I'll give you a for instance, and, and Gary's right. Some of the um, most known people in, in the world are part of this WEF, including Bill Gates. Uh, but he charges up to $650,000 a year for membership. So obviously it's not me and you that are joining no. the World Economic <laughs> Forum, but he's been around no. since the to the set since the early real early 70s and i can remember you know basically he he is a socialist and i can remember even when i was in germany um quite a few years ago his name would pop up every once in a while because germany had the green party and they had the socialist movement and, and things like that his name was would always be uh associated with that and then i remember Oh man, how many years ago was it? Um, there was a term, he either made a speech or he was talking to someone in the press and used the, the comment that, now you gotta go, you gotta think about this is quite a bit even before um, the, our current situation and when people first started hearing about the, the new Green Deal from AOC, uh, he had made the comment it was a new communist green world order so if you look at some of his policies, right? I mean, it's all it's all climate driven. Right. Um, 
and it's it's done to, it's designed to basically totally move away from from capitalism and towards more socialist policies i actually don't think they're socialists i think they're uh i think they're communists right um, but it's been, it's basically in my view right and i've heard this said before it's basically billionaires telling people capitalism is bad because they already control everything, nobody else can get rich, right? We're we're the rich, and now you guys aren't going to get there. Well, but, they talk about I mean, going. Some of the. No, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, my my mistake. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say because they they basically talk about one of the terms that they throw out there in order in order to pull the public in is they they start uh, stop talking about um, uh, stakeholder capitalism and they and they talk about shareholder capitalism when you start. To, um, using that term where stakeholder capitalism you're, you're talking about individuals and companies you know taking a look at the bottom line and what they need to do to make uh, their company profitable for their for their um, or for their shareholders well uh, when when they use the term shareholder capitalism instead of stakeholder capitalism uh, the stakeholder they're talking about um, uh, basically incorporating um, people's um, uh, economic well it, it basically gets back to uh, what we and we're, we're going to step into a little bit of the weeds here and, and I'll, I'll try to do my best to not get too convoluted but um, ESG scores and and what we're talking about uh, when we make when they're trying to make this ship and, and basically it's it's like Jay is saying they're um, they're looking at the demise of of capitalism and trying to figure out a, a way to transition and basically these elites are um, who've got a lot to lose or, or they look at it as they have a lot to lose they really um, only see uh, uh, us as uh, cogs in the wheel but they're trying to put something in place that that allows them to hold on to um, their value um, you know what they own uh, all that they have uh, accumulated to this point of view. So the ESG score is um, a way of looking at a, a, an individual and scoring you on your environmental impact, your societal impact, and governance. And it goes into every single facet of your life and how it affects each one of those particular topics. And then what they do based on that, and I can't even... I can't even explain the formula. I've seen the formula on a page before, but you'd you'd have to be somebody you know um, that's you know that's that's beyond genius, <laughs> and and I am certainly not there. I am of the common man to figure out how they they calculate all of this. But like I said, uh, from everything from uh, on the social end of things, what is it that you're you're browsing on your internet browser? What sites do you go to? Um, why do you use a certain browser that, that tends to, um, you know, not hold on or capture your history? Uh, and they question those things along with your environmental impact. They, you know, look at what kind of car you drive. If you have a business, they take a look at, um, you know, the environmental impact from your business. How many how many vehicles that you have in your in your company? You know, how many times do you um, um, gather at remote places to have you know business meetings and and that type of thing so they're looking at every single aspect of uh, what they consider your impact on the global um, the, the world itself uh, from all of those aspects and then you get you get a rating now imagine uh, pulling up 
you know, say you um, you have uh, investments with Merrill Lynch, and you have a great uh, credit rating, your investments are going well, and all of a sudden one day you pull up, um, the, you take a look at your profile, and all of a sudden you see an ESG score. Now you you know that uh, you know you've got a good handle on on all of your finances, but all of a sudden because you've violated you know uh, some of these scoring mechanisms within that equation that I talked about in an ESG score. Um, an ESG score goes from basically zero to, to 10. And, um, you know, um, as far as you're concerned, from what you know, everything uh, with what you do financially is fine, but all of a sudden you look at your ESG score and you get a, a 4.8 out of a, you know, of a possible 10. And now, now that affects um, with the way they're going to approach financing, that approaches uh, that that affects banks looking at you whether they consider you a good risk or not. So those are some of the things. Like I said, uh, and and at some point we will get deeper into uh, the whole rate rates reset. That'll probably that might be one or two uh, shows because honestly there's so much to cover in order to try to give you a decent background uh, behind that. But. I, like I said, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a taste, a little bit of an overview. And, and um, you know, Jay, I don't, I don't know if you have anything to, to add to that at this point, but I just, I, I'm just trying to, like I said, give people food for thought for for now at least. Yeah. So I, you know, just real quick, um, like I said, when you connect the dots, you start to see a lot of things, you know, a lot of similarities between things that are going on all over the country. And, you might be sitting there at this point thinking, well, well, how does that really affect me? Well, you know, it does. Like uh, it was a couple months ago, Bank of America announced how they're going to start looking at loans that they give to businesses and whether or not those businesses meet certain climate change criteria. Um, so that's one of the big, one of the first big financial institutions. to, uh, And all this comes back to the Great Reset. And then you look at things like what Gary was just talking about. Well, China is incorporating a similar system, only instead of the loans, it's going to grade you as how much of a risk you are to the state. So they're going to monitor your Internet use. They're going to monitor all this stuff. And then you're going to get a score. And the higher your score, the least likely you are to be a threat. And then you're given more privileges and you can travel out of the country. God forbid you do something wrong and your score winds up a two, you're not doing anything. You're not getting a job. You're not, you're not going to be able to do anything. So that's yeah. just kind of a comparison. But I mean, I used to think quite honestly, when I first read some of this years ago, um, when it first started gaining a little bit of traction uh, and I kind of, you know, really when I was in Germany, didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to this guy because when you read it, right, it's like flat out, flat out to me, it was nuts. I was like, you know, this will never happen to any developed country unless it's already communist. But I mean, he, as part of the World Economic Forum, it's basically, <laughs> uh, I guess the best way I've heard it described is it's like a book club for woke billionaires. These guys sit around and exchange all these ideas. Right. But just, you know, just to give you two examples, and, and like I said, the first time that I heard some of these, I just shook my head. So one of uh, Schwab's 
predictions, and he claims these will be in effect by 2030, is, you know, basically as a person, as an individual, um, you will own nothing, no house, no car, nothing. Everything will either be free, but owned by the state, or you'll have to, lo you'll have to, um, it'll be loaned to you by the state. Yeah. So, Rented or, you know, or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, and then one of his main points is the U.S. will no longer be a leading superpower, but a handful of countries will dominate and be the leaders of the world. Uh, sounds like the United Nations to me. Uh, he's never come out and said who those countries will be. But, you know, here's the funny thing. You've got guys like Bill Gates, one of the most influential people in the world, arguably, and other you know, billionaires involved in this where you hear, you hear about. Uh, and I would encourage some of you to go to YouTube and, you know, search some of this. And don't just, there's some pretty knowledgeable people who are legitimate. I'm not talking about your right-wing nut jobs because those guys are out there too. But um, there's some pretty educated people that are pretty astute on what's going on with some of these billionaires and things that, that have been going on that will make more sense to you if you actually take the time, you know, to research some of the things that are going on. Um, but it's some of it's crazy. And part of the problem with with it now is that it's it's gained traction and it's <laughs> it's kind of morphed. Um, and here's part of the problem. So as more people sign on to this, they, they've got some cra even crazier ideas. The first place I would tell you to look is the Time Magazine article. I mean, Time Magazine is pretty much known to most people, right? It's been around for a long time. Um, and they even did like a cover story on the Great Reset. And, and it's like they're like a propaganda machine. Uh, but some of these some of these people that have jumped on this have, have expanded it. They're talking about like demilitarizing United States and it's just it's like it's turned into a bloated wish list uh, and out of all the people you know government health care and, and you know no free markets um, you, you can't start your own business it's, it goes crazy um, it, it makes Russia you know Cold War Russia communist Russia look mild with some of the things they're proposing, but uh, it, it's starting to gain traction. And, and out of all the people that support this, right, there's not one economist. There's not one economist that has stepped up and said, yeah, this will work. Right. Um, everyone says the same thing. It would be an absolutely, absolute disaster. So just real, you know, let's look at it at a local level. How does it affect you? Well, I can... You know, I can tell you New Hampshire has had this happen, and, and Gary and I had talked about this once before, so Washington State, Oregon, California, three of the most left-leaning states in, in the country, there's almost like a blueprint for this. And Once again, I hate, I keep, I hate to keep using the, the, the term connected dots, but it's what I do, and it, it helps to, to make the picture clear. But if you look at California, Oregon, and Washington, They've all instituted uh, or tried to institute low carbon fuel standards, which is basically a gas tax. 
And for example, in Washington State, Washington State has the second highest gas tax in the nation. It's almost a just the tax alone is approaching a dollar a gallon. Um, California has the highest, but it's always like neck and neck between Washington State and, and, and California is who can have the worst policy. A race you don't want to win. Well, you know, in Washington State, they're pretty proud that their governor for like five years running has been named the worst tax and spend policy governor in the, right. in the nation uh, by the Cato Institute. But uh, it's you start looking at that. Well, I let's back up to when Washington's governor, uh, Jay Inslee, ran for president um, here in this last election. Everyone knew it was a joke. Uh, he couldn't garner even 1% of the vote or 1% in the popularity polls. But his, you know, Jay Inslee's been in Congress before. Um, he didn't last long, but he was trying to basically get a position on whoever was to be elected administration and he wanted to be like the ecology guy right or the you know something along the the lines of environmental that didn't work out for him either but when he was running for president one of the first trips that he made was to new hampshire like most other candidates and right. it wasn't four days not even a week a full work week after he left new hampshire that new hampshire state democrats rolled out word for word the exact same low carbon fuel standard tax that was being proposed in Washington state, almost word for word. Right. Um, so they all, you know, all these, that's not a coincidence because it's the same one as in California. It's the same one being proposed in all these Democrat run states across the country. Right. It's not by coincidence. It's by design. It just, you know, it baffles the mind that more people don't see this recognize it's not conspiracy theory it's no. real and it's happening well it's 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 a blueprint and it, and it doesn't surprise me to uh, to see that you know jay inslee you know basically came to the state and started spotting those things and we started hearing the same rhetoric you know when he left and um i have the feeling that that um most folks most folks listening would say you know all of this sounds you know so radical but you know how how would you end up achieving, you know, these goals? Because the most reasonable person, you know, uh, no matter what side of the aisle that they're on, would listen to this and say, "No, I no, I, I am, I'm, I'm not on board with this." Well, um, the way a lot of this, uh, the premise of this works, the way they get around that, and like I said, trying not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but it, at least this needs to be mentioned, is public-private partnerships. And what that basically is, is they don't need you to come on board. Uh, they're going to drag you kicking and screaming. And the way they get around you is that as you've uh, watched in the media, you've seen over, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's made itself even more um, obvious, you know, over the last few months or over the last uh, couple of years is these big tech companies, uh, uh, big companies in general, whether it be Coca-Cola or uh, whoever you could, uh, Amazon, any of them, they're the ones that are actually going to work behind the scenes with the government. Basically, that's what public-private partnerships is talking about, is, is business uh, basically crawling in bed with the, with the government, something that uh, 
that uh, the Democrats used to, you know, yell and scream about, uh, you know, these big bad businesses. Well, uh, now they see um, a benefit uh, to each other, you know, understanding that um, for the government perspective, the way to get around the Constitution, the way to achieve some of these goals that they're looking to do and, and not uh, necessarily incur the wrath of the people or give them a voice is by involving uh, uh, basically you know, private companies. And when private companies start to pressure you from the outside, you know, outside the legislative process, well, they can certainly stir, um, steer the masses in the direction that they want to go because it's not something you're voting on, it's not something you're deciding on, they're basically pressuring you into things. Talk about Facebook and its, its censorship of, of um, you know, certain viewpoints or opinions, uh, and um, we've seen that in, in Facebook and Twitter and in a lot of social media platforms. Well, that's part of what you're talking about there, that outside influence that doesn't have anything to do with an elected official. But when you're talking about you know, business crawling in bed with government, it basically gives them a leg up. When you hear, um, um, having a brain cramp here, um, Facebook CEO, Mark Zuckerberg. When you hear Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey, you know, from Twitter start talking about the fact that they, they, they almost welcome a certain amount of government intervention and regulation, well, why would they do that? Well. The reason that they would do that, because basically, you know, like I said, now they're partners. And who do you think is going to uh, help write the legislation moving forward that helps regulate them and basically sets the groundwork to keep out anybody, any of the little guys that are uh, attempting to start a new business or anything uh, close to what a Facebook or, or, or a Twitter would be like uh, to basically shut the door on all of those small businesses like Jay was just talking about here. And... Um, it makes it makes perfect sense if, if you're working to like I said subvert the, the constitution and and reach your ultimate goals that's the way you do it and and how do people fight back against that if every aspect of your life everything that you touch whether it be social media or the things you buy or things of that nature if they're all going uh, to jump on that bandwagon and they are they a lot of them uh, attend the forums uh, with the World Economic Forum uh, basically, you know, looking at the world moving forward, trying to globalize things and take it from um, a capitalist economy into something else. That's how you do it. You, you use outside influence. And um, like I said, that's, that's, that's one of the big parts. That's why I say at some point we'll come back to this and get a little more in depth with the Great Reset because there is so much ground to cover in order to um, lay some of the foundation so that people can understand what it is uh, that we're trying to share with you and have it make sense. So, Yeah, spot on. And, and, and you know, I had to laugh because I remember at one point in time, just I was reading uh, one of Schwab's points was, and at the time I just kind of scratched my head and said that that's kind of, uh, that's kind of out, out of left field, but he, he had made on his eight predictions for things that uh, will occur or need to occur by 2030, he was talking about um, eating meat in well-developed countries would be restricted. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then how many weeks ago was it Bill Gates came out and was talking about plant-based food and the need to eat more plant-based food and 
exactly how we shouldn't be eating as much meat we need to preserve it and then it was about a couple weeks after that i read that and i still haven't done the research on this but i plan to that he's buying up hundreds and hundreds of acres one of the of biggest farmland yes yes one of the biggest land uh, land landowners as far as a farmland and for and, and for what reason would would bill gates somebody that's basically transitioned out of his position at microsoft and um trying to give you trying to rehabilitate basically his public image and he's he's gone into things like um you know the whole vaccine initiative and and um, um you know different global initiatives like i said trying to rehabilitate his his basically his public image but what what need does he have to buy up all kinds of farmland if it isn't for some reason to um Either, either utilize it for, for uh, what his intentions is or uh, basically just have a, uh, a lock on it that um, the only way it gets used if, is if you're going through him. But, you know, either way, it sounds like a squeeze to me. So, you know, somebody needs to explain that to me because I don't, I don't understand except for my own personal speculation, and, and that's all it is at this point is, is my speculation. Yeah, like you said, that's definitely a, a rabbit. I mean, that, that's a topic that we could take and, and anybody that does the research could take uh, down quite a few rabbit holes. I mean, it, it's, once again, I hate to, I hate to, to kind of come from an angle of conspiracy theory, but when you look at national security and some of the intel that goes out there, when you talk about uh, the World Economic Forum, talking about all these things need to take place by 2030, and China talking about they will be the world power by 2049. Uh, I mean, it doesn't take much to go from point A to point B. So, you know, let me make something clear. Um, first and foremost, and I talked about this a little bit in the beginning, I'm not a partisan politics person. Um, I very much don't like uh, politics for self-gain. I am very much um, an American. I've been to places that many people couldn't find on a map without grid coordinates. I've seen what it's like in third world countries. I've been on the ground in third world countries. I've been to other well-developed countries. Um, in my service, I've been all over the world. And I can tell you without hesitation that this country is the best country and with the most opportunities of any country in the world and that's if we're going to preserve that if, if that's the route we're going to continue down for our children and our grandchildren and further down the line um, then we'll, people are going to have to wake up and realize some of the things that are going on um, and, and that's my point i don't care if you're a republican or democrat or independent or you know, if your goal is to destroy our constitutional republic and, and replace it with something like this, I don't care what you call yourself. You're an enemy of the state. Yeah. And that's kind of how I view it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I, like you say, I mean, it, it's, it's a very straightforward point, one that's uh, been, you know, driven home multiple times. And you don't have to be, uh, in my in my humble opinion, a rocket scientist to recognize it. You know, why are there so many people that basically risk their life or lives 
to try to get to this country, whether it be legally or illegally, any by any means necessary, what does that tell you? You know, um, because they understand that this is this is still as as uh, corrupt as different parts of our society uh, is at this present time. Um, it's still the land of opportunity, and when the the rights of the individual disappear for the rights of the collective, uh, you've lost that, and there there is no more um, shining star on you know, on the hill. There is no there is no you know light in the world anymore because there is no place else to go. And um, to me, what what people need to decide and and think about doing, and and this kind of um, not to get too far off topic here, but to to share with people. Um, one of the things I'm considering for uh, restoring Main Street, and um, I know if anybody has seen one of the recent posts, I've started to do a little 10-minute spot called Quick Hits. Well, I'm thinking of doing something similar to that. And um, basically, uh, uh, from a very simplistic standpoint, going back to pointing out different parts of the, um, um, uh, basically, the Constitution. And... Um, you know, just uh, uh, doing little, you know, bits and pieces of the Constitution because from a, from a standpoint of, of the individual and, and where is there a place to start, my opinion is um, possibly the best place to start along with educating yourself and going out and, and checking some of the information that you heard tonight. Certainly research, you know, uh, what we've talked about. Don't take it, you know, for, from us, from, you know, at our word. Check into it. But Let's get back to uh, the way our founding fathers laid out the, uh, the Constitution and uh, the articles, uh, you know, what government is supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do, and then start looking from a state perspective what you can start doing in your individual state to shore up some of those uh, federalist ideas. You know, everything, the government was given very limited things that it was supposed to be able to do. And that has been distorted over, over the years and the generations. Uh, and we can, that can be a whole other program. But the way you start to maybe secure that and pull that back in or give it to the best attempt to pull it back in is that you start looking from your own state's perspective. What can you do locally with uh, your own state governments to try to shore up some of those things that the Constitution uh, promised us and laid out for us to how you know to basically conduct our society in, in a civil way, and um, basically we we give just a portion of our rights because our elected officials are supposed to be our servants. So what they're allowed to do, um, the Constitution uh, gives them a small portion of those rights. We give them to them because they are our servants, and anything that's not laid out in Article 1, Section 8, as far as the legislature goes, all of that reverts back to the states. If you read your Constitution, that's what it talks about. So that's what we need to start doing, and what I think I'm going to start doing in relation to that is uh, quick little, like I said, 10-minute segments, kind of like my quick hits, only just taking different pieces of um, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and then sharing those again with you just to give you an idea and, and maybe maybe people will go back and take a look at those things and, and um, internalize them a little bit more, you know, make yourself a little more familiar with them because, um, I, I mean, I have to be honest, uh, you know, there was a short time ago when, when I had lost sight of, uh, of a lot of that and had to go back and do that myself, and I uh, continue to do it to, um, you know, to reinforce 
uh, what it is that I believe and, and um, you know, um, the way this country was supposed to be, what, what the intention was and how we've, we've basically, we have drifted so far from that, it's, 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 it's very scary. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, and 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 that was going to be one of my, you know, kind of for if we're getting ready to close for this, yeah, this podcast, we'll, you know, we'll wrap things up. That was going to, yeah, that was going to be one of my uh, closing statements. Is one of the things that I don't know when it happened, and I don't know when we lost sight of it, and believe me, I've tried to find out, but you know, politicians, Congress, the Senate, they weren't created to rule us. They were created to serve us. And, and Gary, you hit, the, you hit the nail on the head. We've, they're not doing that. They are trying to rule. And, and, and they're trying to rule. So I guess we started out with the current state of politics. Um, I'll, I'll end by saying I think we have a very troubling road ahead if we continue down the path that we've been on for the last few months and, and I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned not as a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, I'm concerned as an American. Um, so yeah. that's uh that's where I'll end that. All right. Jay, I, I you just I wanna thank you again. Like I said, it, it's um it, it's a complete privilege on my part to have you on here and uh, be able to discuss some of these things with you because uh, like I stated before at the outset that I think you bring a perspective that that uh, um, not even I I can't I can't speak from I, I do the best to um, you know be as knowledgeable as I can and I've still got plenty of things to learn uh, like I said this is for right now at some point I would love this to be my everyday thing but right now I I still got a, a nine to five you know 40 hour a week plus trying to do this on the side as well but so I've got a long way to go. I think we all have a long way to go. But like I said, I truly appreciate your perspective, and I uh, look forward in the weeks to come. Like I said, we're going to, just for all of you out there, just so you know, we're uh, Jason and I, this is going to be, I think, um, as often as he can fit it into his schedule, I think we're going to attempt to uh, have Jay come back and uh, discuss a lot of these things and try to get more in-depth in about some of them so that um, – we can share as much information as, as possible. So like I said, it gives you food for thought, things to go and check on and research on your own. And like I said, certainly, certainly do that. I don't expect anybody to take me at my word. I want you to go out and, and um, investigate some of these things on your own. That's how they become second nature to you. you know, you're not taking, um, you know, that's one of my arguments about the mainstream media. You know, too, too many out there just, just uh, accept what they feed them. Don't do that. You know, um, fact check as much as you want. Look into all of these things, and that's what I encourage you to do. And so, Jay, I'd like to say thank you. And like I said, I, I look forward to uh, uh, when next we get to do this again. So, thanks. Yeah, thank thanks for having me. Um, it's it's been fun, and and I'll echo what you just said. Educate yourself. Um, you know, be be become knowledgeable in what's going on at the state and the federal level. Gary, you, you hit the nail on the head again, but. Yeah, thanks. I'm looking forward to the next time. All right. All right. I'll uh, I'll let Jay go here and I'll transition over. And like I said, unfortunately, you'll just have to look at at my ugly mug here for a second. And uh, I just want to run through a couple of things. Um, it, as far as restoring Main Street goes, like I said, I, I have uh, 
like I started to mention, I have plans on doing uh, another quick segment that goes into talking about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and just feeding, you know, little bits of information and things for you to go uh, check out and, and, and look up and research on your own. Uh, I just see it as something that's potentially beneficial to all of you. So um, just know that that is, is, is coming in the future as well, along with uh, what I'm doing now the single topic quick hits well I'll come on and, and like I said give you uh, something to chew on and, and hopefully respond to so you can take a look at those and uh, I'd like to reiterate also that restoring Main Street like I said we're uh, we're basically uh, myself um, the individuals that write articles for the actual website this is all volunteer work at this particular point in time so the way this grows is for you to share with friends. Uh, please go check out our website, restoringmainstreet.com. Uh, read some of the articles, check into those. We've got um, uh, five or six different categories of, of topics that you can look at, and the, uh, the writings there will obviously be around those particular themes. And also, uh, I'll, I post this, um, this webcast or this, um, this podcast in different places and I'll just run down through those with you um, quickly so that you know where to look uh, look for these um, uh, if you prefer rumble go to rumble if you like YouTube um, we will be on YouTube for as long as we can and uh, unless we step into areas where they decide to um, to shut us down um, Facebook will be one of those places where I pick and choose what I post there because Facebook is even more stringent at times than YouTube is um, BitChute is another um, newly formed social media um, uh, outlet that uh, you can post videos at. A, a lot of my content and uh, some of the things that you'll see at the website or little uh, links to our webpage you will also find at MeWe and Gab. I have a Restoring Main Street MeWe and Gab page. I have an Instagram account with Restoring Main Street. I have a Twitter account with Restoring Main Street. So you'll be able to find us in a lot of different areas, and I encourage you to, if you find this information and what we're trying to do of value, and I certainly hope that you do, our intent is to provide things that, that are meaningful and beneficial to you, then I would ask that you would support those particular pages, like and follow them, share them with your friends, and um, like I said, uh, we're, we're doing this for a very important reason, because. Uh, Anybody that's involved with restoring Main Street basically feels that there's this information that's not getting out to the general public, and um, we want to share those things that, that we don't feel uh, is actually reaching you. So that's our intent. Um, and I guess that'll wrap things up for, for this week. And uh, once again, just thank you for tuning in. Thank you for checking this out. And uh, as I always leave you with uh, uh, God, freedom, and family. Uh, God, freedom, excuse me, God, freedom, and family, yes. Uh, because if we lose the first two, uh, our families are doomed. And like I said, there's, there's nothing more important than those three things, in, in my opinion. So thank you so much for your time, and uh, hope to see you ne uh, uh, next podcast. I'll. Uh, I will give you some heads up as to what's coming in the in the future. Post little uh, um, ads and, and promos so that uh, so that you know what's what's coming next. So, once again, thank you for your time, and 
We'll be seeing you soon.